You know, one of the greatest privileges we have as the body of Christ is to be the presence of Christ to one another, to be the presence of Christ to our community. Because you never know what needs will arise and, and then how long they will continue. Uh, Carolyn's story is Caesar's continue even as of this week. And so we have this month been asking you as a church to be asking the Lord above and beyond what you would regularly commit to give toward the ministry of the local church, would you prepare a a gift that we've simply called readiosity, Uh, being ready to give so that we could meet the needs of those in our community. And so tonight at our Christmas Eve service and then tomorrow night at our three Christmas Eve services, We're going to have a radiosity tree. You walked by it this morning as you walked in over here in South. It'll be out there in the portico. And we want to invite you, if you would ask the Lord how you might give specifically to meeting needs like you just heard. Because they're all around us. And we get to be the presence of Christ to them. And so if you'd simply place it in a white envelope and place it in the radiosity tree this evening or tomorrow evening, whenever you come to our Christmas Eve service, it will be our privilege through the coming year to be the presence of Christ to very real needs in this community and the surrounding community. So uh, ask the Lord, and then as he leads you, would you trust him and, and respond to him? If you want to take your Bible with me now, we have a a rather unusual text for our Sunday before Christmas. If you haven't been with us or if you're new or just visiting, we have been going for almost 20 months through the Gospel of Mark. We started at a weird time. We started at Easter. So we began to look at the beginning of the life of Jesus on Easter when normally we'd be talking about the death, burial, and resurrection. And now on Christmas Sunday of 2018, we're actually at the end of the gospel of Mark. So we're going to be looking at the ascension. So some of you may think, that dude is confused. We're supposed to be talking about the birth of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus, and we're talking about the departure of Jesus. And we are. What I was not prepared for was the common thread, the beauty of looking at the two bookends of the life of Jesus. And so we're going to look at what we normally look at on Christmas Sunday, the birth of Jesus, what's called the, the incarnation. And when we look at the life of Jesus, it has really two bookends, the incarnation, the arrival of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, and then it has the ascension is the other bookend. That, that's the end of the life of Jesus is not his resurrection, but his ascension because that's the departure of Jesus. So again, normally we would be looking at the incarnation, God becoming man on this Sunday, but we're at the end of the gospel of Mark. So we're going to look at the departure of Jesus instead of the arrival. And in doing so, I wonder if you're going to come to the conclusion that I have certainly leaned to, and that is that it's just possible that you might agree with me that the ascension is better than Christmas. 
Now, already I've offended some of you. You're like, oh, that's a terrible thing to say. How could you think anything is better than Christmas is my favorite? I'm not downing Christmas, actually. Actually, Christmas is marvelous. I'm not Scrooge. But the other bookend of the life of Jesus, the ascension, has some truth to it that we'll, we'll check, I'll check in throughout this message to go, are you, are you tracking with me? Maybe this is actually even better than Christmas. So we'll start with the first book, the bookend. We'll start with Christmas. So if you take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 2, it's only a page or two away probably in your Bible from the ascension that we're going to look at in Mark. So we'll only have to flip a page or two. We're going to start at the first bookend, what we typically look at, the birth of Jesus. Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read together. You can follow along in your Bible, verses 8 through 15, that portion of it, where it says, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. This is all familiar to us. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you, and I want you to make sure you got this. What's he bring them? Good news of great joy. Good news of great joy, which will be for whom? all the people. So Christmas is ultimately about good news of great joy for all peoples, which is why you can make a case for going, how's it get better than that? How could you possibly get better than good news of great joy for all the people? Well, the angel continues, for today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So the beauty and the majesty and the mystery of Christmas is the, the arrival of Jesus on the planet. And the story tells us that it was announced by angels by the birth of a baby, that there would be a sign for you that there's good news of great joy for all people. And that sign would be the birth of a baby and not just any baby. This baby would be the son of God. He would be God with us. That is the great news of Christmas, that God is with us. And it's not just that he is with us. It's that God is with us in order to do something for us. And what is that according to verse 11, if you're open there in Luke 2? He is with us to do what for us? To be a, a savior. To, to what I want to describe to you as to make atonement for us. I want to take us a moment and, and think about that word, atonement. If, if you've done something and then you have to make atonement for it, what are you doing? You're trying to do something good to make up something for something bad. Jesus 
was born as a baby to be a savior, that is to make atonement for us, to to do something good for we who have done something bad. He has taken the penalty for my sin, your sin upon himself. It's this big word in the New Testament called propitiation, where he satisfies the wrath of God that you and I deserve because of our sin. He takes the punishment upon himself. He makes atonement. It's what he does for us. But watch, he does that in order that this would happen. Reconciliation. Where there was brokenness, there would now be oneness. That we were created for a relationship with God, but because of our sin, they'd been separated. So he took the punishment that we deserved for all eternity, and he said, I will take it so that you can be restored, reconciled to God. Atonement is both. Atonement is paying the penalty for our sins so that we could be made one with Jesus. So you go, how could it get any better than that? That we would be reconciled because of Christ having atoned for our sins. It also tells us in the arrival of Jesus that shepherds were invited to to come and see. The shepherds are, are actually a a major part of the Christmas story, and I wonder if you've ever asked yourself why. Why even include that? I mean, could it all happen without telling the shepherds, without the shepherds going to see? Well, why, why are they even part of the story? I think, the text doesn't say this, so this is an I think. I think they are a part of the birth of Jesus because they represent what will be true for the entire life of Jesus. And that is his invitation is to those who are the social outcasts, the ones who have been set aside. You see, when you get into the life of Jesus, what you find is that he is constantly frustrating those who think they are righteous, those who think they're good, those who are very religious in their action. He is always frustrating them. But to those who are broken, the downcasts, those whose lives are a wreck, that's who Jesus engages That's who the shepherds were. And so I think they are invited to his birth because it is a preview of what his life will be about. So many in our day think, oh, I'm not good enough for Jesus. I need to clean up my life. I need to be better in order to get right with God. No, the shepherds are part of the Christmas story to remind you that you don't have to get yourself right. You're invited to come to a savior who invites those whose lives are broken and those who are lost and desperate in need. It's the religious that he frustrates. So the shepherds come and see and they find it's just as he said. The mystery of the Christmas story is that Jesus was born of a virgin. And when the angel tells that virgin Mary that she's going to have a child, she rightly says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? That's impossible. 
To which the angel reply, replies, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You ever thought about what's that mean to be that the power of the Most High overshadowed Mary? It's, it's a really lofty way of saying, I'm going to do what's not possible in you. You're right, you're a virgin and virgins don't give birth to children, but the power of the Most High is gonna do in you what could not happen apart from me. I'm gonna overshadow the process. I'm gonna take the, the normal and make it supernatural. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God because Jesus did not have an earthly father who was his biological father. His biological father was the Heavenly Father through the conceiving work of the Holy Spirit in a woman. And so the Christmas story is this beautiful work of the Holy Spirit doing the impossible through this individual named Mary who didn't earn it, didn't deserve it. She simply had the favor of God upon her and God chose her out of all the girls on all the planet to say, it's through you that I'm gonna send my son. And so she gives birth and Jesus is circumcised on the eighth day and then on the 40th day as according to the law of Moses, according to Jewish custom, then this six week old baby Jesus is taken into the temple to be presented to the Lord and to make a sacrifice for this baby Jesus. And there's this old guy in the temple whose name is Simeon. And when he sees this baby over all the other babies he would have seen for years being a temple, at the temple, when he sees this baby, the Holy Spirit reveals to him, that's not a normal baby there. This baby is who? And this is what Simeon says. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. See, he sees in that baby what the angels had declared to the shepherds. There's going to be a baby born and who will be a, what was it, verse 11? A savior. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. What did the angels say to the shepherds? Good news of great joy to all the peoples. Simeon, same Revelation by the Holy Spirit says, ah, oh, this baby is the Savior. He is a light, and not only a light to the Gentiles, but a light to the Jews as well, to all peoples. And so in this Christmas story, we have the arrival, Simeon declares, of a light in the darkness. Jesus is this light brought into a dark world. He is the savior. Now, I've captured for us fairly quickly the joy of Christmas. It, it's, this, is, this is the story that causes us to gather. This is the story that, that calls more people to come to church than hardly ever come to church. This is what we'll gather. This is why we'll need four services between tonight and three tomorrow night to be able to remember uh, this story. So how 
could I possibly think that the other bookend, the departure of Jesus, could be better than this story? Well, you might not agree, but let's see. Turn back a page to Mark 16. And we'll pick up now the very other end of the story. Jesus has lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death on the cross as evidence that he was dead, he was buried, and then he rose from the dead. And how many saw this resurrected Jesus? More than 500, the New Testament tells us. More than 500 people saw him over a period of 40 days, spread over 80 miles. The overwhelming testimony is that Jesus is alive. And then in his last conversation with his disciples, prior to his departure, he says this, pick it up in verse 15 of Mark 16. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Why in the world would he say that? <laughs> Remember Christmas? Remember the angels? Good news of great joy for, for all the people. So if that's really true, what do we need to do? We need to tell it to all creation. So he's gone, hey, this is the way the story began, and I haven't lost it. You need to go, and you need to declare it to everybody on creation. And he who is believed and has been baptized shall be saved. Remember, there'll be born a savior. But he who is disbelieved shall be condemned. They're still going to be under the wrath of God. These signs will accompany those who have believed in my name. They'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll pick up serpent, serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, which I have no idea why you would do that, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Story over. With this one little bit of addition that the book of Acts tells us that I want to make sure we don't miss... Acts 1 says, and as they were gazing intently into the sky, why are they gazing intently into the sky? Because <laughs> they had never seen a human rocket before. <laughs> and, and, and you and I watch a physical rocket and it's going up and you're going to go, I see it, I see it, no, I lost it, oh, I see it, no, it's still right there. And can you not imagine that that's exactly what they're doing with Jesus? I still see him, still gone. They're gazing intently. Watching Jesus. And it says, while they're doing this, two men in white clothing, meaning angels, so angels present at his announcing his birth and angels present at the departure as well. You ever think about that? Two men in white clothing stood beside them and they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? Because we've never seen a human rocket. This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. So in other words, he's been here, he's leaving and he's, who told him that? 
the angels. So, don't miss this. It's a great story in the incarnation that angels announce the birth of a baby. But at the ascension, angels are present too, and they there announce the return of a king. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then read Revelation 19. When Jesus comes back the next time, it's going to be dramatically different than in baby form. He came as a baby to be a savior slain, but he's going to come back again as a king to reign. And I just want to ask you, baby Jesus or king Jesus? I'll go with the king might actually be a little better and in the incarnation the good news is God with us God wrapped in human flesh with us but in his ascension when he goes up it's no longer just God with us what is it now It's the greater news that God is in those he is with. It's not that he's not with them anymore. It's better than with. He's with them by being in them. Now, somebody said after first hour, that didn't happen until Pentecost. I understand. Doesn't happen for some days later. But Jesus said very specifically, he can't come unless I depart. So Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit to dwell within people cannot happen until Jesus ascends. So a baby came to be with us, but now Christ is in us. I don't know, but I would say in might be better than with, right? You're not convinced. So, why did he come? He came to make atonement. Why did he leave? It says he went up into heaven. And what did he do in Mark 16, verse 19? What did he do when he went up into heaven and he sat down? Jeez, this atoning stuff is hard work. No, he didn't sit down because he was tired. He didn't sit down because he was done. He sat down to begin to do something new. The New Testament tells us that he lives in heaven and he ever lives to make intercession for us. That in the incarnation, he came to make atonement. But in his ascension, he now is our advocate for those who he has made atonement for. He's our advocate. Now you may know, I don't know what that means. He's our advocate. So let me help you. You ever been in a conversation where somebody keeps saying the same thing just to make the point and you're like, I got it. Maybe it was like your mama. She's like, okay, I got it, I got it. You're not sneaking up on me. Final meal, Jesus, his disciples, he says the same thing five times in a row in the same meal. You know what it is? I'm going away. If you need something, whatever, 
what should you do? Ask. And I'll be your, adv- your advocate for the Father. And then, same meal. He said, hey, whatever you need, ask. See, this is why he said it five times. We've done it twice. You still don't even get it. Whatever you need, ask. Later in the same conversation, same meal, third time, whatever you need, ask. Fourth time, whatever you need, fifth time, See, his entire point is, I'm going to go away. I have made atonement for you. But now I'm going to be advocate for those whom I've made atonement for. Whatever you need, ask. Now, here's the big question. What do I need to ask for? Well, major change between the first bookend to the shepherds. What was the invitation to the shepherds? <laughs> the invitation was come and see. But at his ascension, <laughs> we read it, Mark 16, verse 15. What did he say? I'll come and just sit and watch. No, what did he say? Oh, now go and tell. Now there's observation gets upgraded to participation. See, I think this is, this is how weird we are. We think, oh, not go and tell. I'd rather just come and see. No, 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 you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. If you, when you love something, you'd much rather participate than observe. Absolutely, folks. Come on. You love football? It's one thing to go down and watch a football game. It'd be totally different if you got on the field passes. And is it not the little kid's dream when they kick off? And then what's that little kid get to do right after kickoff? Go buzzing out there, pick up the tee, and run back. And every kid in the stadium's going, why can't I be that kid, Dad? How do I get down there? Participating is lots better than observing. Right? If you love it. My daughter-in-law, Roxanne, loves her some country music. So when my, my son, Clayt, wants to make her really happy on her birthday or something like that, she, he'll say, we're going to a country music concert. And she's like out of her mind at a country music concert. Observing. But if she got up on the stage with Keith Urban, <laughs> would that be better? Come on, I'm not saying for the audience, for her. Would that be better? No offense, Roxanne, if you're listening. Would that be better for her? That'd be a hundred times better. Because if we love something, participation is lots better than observation. I like, I don't like country music, but I like fishing. Because I like fishing, you know what people always do? They pull out their phone and they they show me pictures of the fish that they caught. So here's a little clue. I'm not really interested in seeing the pictures of the fish you caught unless it's accompanied by, come with me next time. Then I care about your pictures. Because I don't really want to see the pictures you caught unless you're going to include me in on the process the next time. Right? Because participation is always better than observation if you, if you love it. And so why does he say, ask, 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 
ask. Got to say that very clearly. Why does he say ask? Some of you are catching up to that right there. Why does he say ask? Because he's saying, I intend for you to participate. And when you participate, you're going to need stuff like courage and boldness and endurance. If, if you're not sure whether you're into observation or participation, just, just think about what you ask for and you'll, you'll know. Because observers ask for comfort and participants ask for power and help and enablement. Your prayers, what you ask for, will completely tell you whether you're stuck at Christmas or you've moved on to the participation the ascension involves. So I'm not down on Christmas, but I think the ascension might be better. Who got to participate in Christmas? I mean, like, really participate in Christmas. Nobody got to participate in Christmas like this person. Thank you, Mary. That's participation. That's some serious participation. But what's so, I think, so interesting and so mind-blowing for me is that her participation in Christmas, the text very clearly says, is the result of The power of the Most High overshadowing her. Her participation in Christmas is God choosing to do the supernatural through this select individual. And that's that's a great, that's a marvelous story of the incarnation, the Holy Spirit doing the impossible through an individual. But you know what's better than the Holy Spirit doing the impossible through a select individual? I think you do. It's the impossible being open to to all who believe. Jesus said, I'm going away. But yet, whoa, if you believe in me, You're going to do what I did. And then it's like he goes, no, strike that. Strike that one. You're going to do greater things than I did. And you and I just, we don't buy that. Because Jesus is up here and we're like way, way down here at best. But Jesus very explicitly said, I'm going away. But if you believe in me then that which the Father did the impossible through me, you're invited in to participate in doing the impossible, which is why you need to do what? Ask, 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 and ask. I think it's better. Because I would 
so much, 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 much more want to participate in being part of the impossible than simply observe somebody else doing the impossible. We're invited in. Finally, when Simeon sees six-week-old baby Jesus in the temple, what did he say about him? He said, he's the light in the darkness. Let me read to you John 1. Some of you know how it begins. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That can get a little confusing, so let me read it to you again. In him, Jesus, who was God and is God, was life, and the life was the light of men. Listen, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not, yeah, it says comprehend it, which doesn't mean it didn't understand it. It means it could not stop it. It could not, the darkness could not overcome the light. In him was the life, and the life was the light of all men, and that light was unstoppable. See, so put it together. Jesus in his birth is the arrival of a light in the darkness. But in his ascension, there is this unstoppable spread of what? Light. Where? To the ends of the earth. Because at the beginning, what the angels declare? Good news of... Yeah, you can't talk and write at the same time. I'm with you. I'll, I'll back off. Shut up. An unstoppable spread of light to the ends of the earth. That's the ascension. It started, it started with Jesus, the light in the darkness, and the darkness couldn't stop it. And that is now with his ascension so that the spirit would no longer just be with us, but would be in us. And he in heaven, not only as our atonement, but as our advocate, so that we might ask whatever we need to participate in the impossible, unstoppable spread of light to the ends of the earth. I think it might be better. Now, your faces tell me, I still like Christmas. You're not ready to give up Christmas for May 30th of 2019, which is Ascension Day, by the way. You're not ready to come to church five times on May 30th. I think it's better, because watch. A light, an unstoppable light. I wanted to illustrate it. 
I can't very well, but here's my best. Here's how it started. A single light in a completely dark world. A single light born in Bethlehem. Who lived a perfect life to become the one who would pay the penalty for your sin and my sin. So that if we would believe in him, what would happen? The light would shine in our hearts because the Holy Spirit would come now and dwell within us. Look up here. So the gospels close with one light and Acts opens because Jesus departs and what happens is what Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit comes and one light becomes 120 lights in Jerusalem. And Peter now filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the 120 lights, Peter stands up and proclaims the gospel and 3,000 believe and now there is 3,000 lights. And he preaches again and now there are 8,000 lights. See, the, the light is beginning to unstoppably, what? Spread. The darkness will not comprehend it. The darkness won't overcome it. And it's, so it's spreading, but it's just this little corner of this little corner of the earth. But as persecution comes and people spread out, light moves from Jerusalem and Judea up into Samaria, up into Antioch. And there at the church in Antioch, as leaders pray in the spirit, he sends out Paul and Barnabas and light spreads, not east, but west. And people in Colossae and Ephesus hear the gospel and believe and light spreads and it continues west to Corinth, a sexual saturated, immoral city, the Vegas of our times. He, light begins to shine and goes westward to Thessalonica and Philippi. And the, by the end of the book of Acts, light has filled the entire world. No. It got that far. But you understand when the New Testament ends, there's this little light. See, I can't show it to you well. There's just this little light in this little portion of the world. But the story had started with one light who was intended to be good news of great joy for all peoples. Jesus said, go and my spirit will be in you and do the impossible and ask me for what I need to participate and let light spread to the ends of the earth. You may go, I still don't believe it. It's not better than Christmas. All right. It's at least the seed that bloomed with the ascension. You with me? Christmas is the seed that died and now is multiplied and blooming to the ends of the earth. 
Two questions. Has the light of life, Jesus himself, shown in your heart personally? Forget the ends of the earth for a moment. Just for the people here at 930. Is the light of Jesus shining in your heart? Because the Bible says all of us have walked in darkness. You know what's to like to walk in darkness? Ever walk in the pitch black? It's miserable. My kids love to hunt. And I don't really like to hunt. I like to hunt because they like to hunt. Part of hunting means I got to try and find that stupid deer stand in the pitch black. And I got a headlamp and they go, no, you can't turn it on. I can't see. Just walk, you'll find. I can't find it. It's miserable. But I'm telling you, nothing close to the misery of a soul that's still lost in darkness. Some of you know that. You know that right now. You know that sense of, man, I am so lost in life. I don't really know who I am or what I'm about. I'm going 90 to nothing. You're running fast and hard just to avoid that sense of lostness. The story of Christmas, can I have your eyes please? The story of Christmas is that Jesus, the light came into the world that he might shine in your heart, that he might be your savior that he might atone for your sin and you would be in the light. Not that all your problems go away, but now you can see them in the light and can walk through them in the light. Have you trusted in Jesus to shine his light into your heart? If not, I would invite you to do that this morning. To say, God, I am a sinner. I am lost. My life is a wreck. I need light. And I can't find it apart from you. And you would place your faith in Jesus, who is the light. Second question, though. Many of you have already trusted in Jesus. The light of Christ shines in your heart but I wonder, are you stuck in Christmas? Stuck in believing a savior was born, but you have not yet embraced a king who rules your life. Stuck, (laughs) thankful that your sin is forgiven, but never engaging yourself as a participant of having received life, spreading life. You're stuck in Christmas. You have, you have been given life. You have been given light in order that it would spread through you to your family, to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your classmates. Sometimes we just got stuck. And I, I'm pleading with you. <laughs> Don't get stuck. Even if you won't agree with me that the ascension's better, would you live in 
the truth that the light of Christ is in you so that you would be a participant in the impossible of the unstoppable spread of the light of Jesus to the ends of the earth, the good news of great joy to all people. Would you bow with me? There in the quietness of your seat, if you would bow your head and I invite you, if you've never confessed your sin to Jesus, ask him to be your forgiver, that you would do that right now. That you would invite the light of Jesus to shine in your darkness. That he would drive that darkness and that fear and that meaningless away. you have, but boy, you really related to being stuck. Would you just tell the Lord Jesus right there in the quietness of your seat, would you tell him, Lord Jesus, I want to engage in being a part of good news of great joy to all peoples. I'm going to learn to ask because I'm going to start participating. I want your kingship to be the rule of my heart. Thank you, Lord, that you have been working, you are working, and you will continue to work to the praise of your glory, that you are hope and life and joy. We worship you with our every breath. Let's stand together and as an expression of our prayer, let's declare this unto the Lord. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken.
when we declare it's your your breath in our lungs, we're acknowledging that Christ, by the person of the Holy Spirit, lives in us. We belong to him. And therefore, every breath is for him and every breath is by him. And every breath is part of good news of great joy for all peoples, including everybody here and your family and your friends and your coworkers. We have the incredible privilege to participate. Let's not waste our breath that we've been given, his breath in us. Uh, We're gonna gather tonight, 6.30, and again three times tomorrow to remember uh, the Jesus who was born, the Savior, the light that shines in our hearts. I invite you to join us. God bless.